Grab your Bible, grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Let me say it's good to be in God's house tonight. It's good to be here. We're going to, we're going to work through this chapter, uh, kind of going along with what we've been studying. Uh, uh, most of y'all know it's been kind of tight around here last couple weeks on Sunday mornings and, and, and trying to really, uh, uh, be specific. Uh, sometimes when you beat around the bush and you just try to be in, in speak in gen, generality, you, people don't get the point. And, and you, sometimes you just got to be, be as clear as possible. Uh, but I want to, I want to address this and talk about why we do what we do or, or what is the purpose of coming to church and gathering together? Or if you want to word it this way, life after salvation, what, what does this mean when coming to church, being a part of church? What are we supposed to get out of church? And, uh, and that type of thing. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right. Ephesians chapter number four in verse number one. Verse number one. Let me get my eyes on here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. All right. Let's all read it together. Let's all read it together. You ready? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll guide us tonight. Lord, direct us, help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to expand our mind, help us to do what you said in your word, renew our mind. I pray that your perfect will be done. Thank you for the good crowd tonight. Lord, I pray that you will just remove any obstacle, remove any hindrance, anything that would keep people from being able to study and to hear and to learn and to grow. I pray that you'll remove it. I pray that you'll forgive all of us of any uh, sin or any attitude or any behavior that would grieve the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray that you'll help us to, to soak in your word and not just hear it, but go do it. And Lord, we'll thank you, we'll praise you, and you'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. Uh, the Bible, the Bible is very, very practical. It's very, very practical. And you say, preacher, what do you mean? It's something that we can practice. It's something that we can do. It's something that we can uh, take with us, go into it, and then I can go practice what I read and what I study and what I get from it during the week. Does that make sense? Uh, it's very, very practical. Uh, to, a lot of us, a lot of us have this idea that it's, it's only theological, but it's more than that. It's practical. We can practice it. Matter of fact, uh, these chapters in Ephesians are the practical chapters in, in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters, he tells us about all the blessings of God, all that Jesus has done for us. Man, he talks about our citizenship and all the things that we have re received, our inheritance and all that God has done for us. And that's why you see that word Therefore, in verse number one, in other words, because Paul is saying this, because of everything I said from chapters one to the end of chapter three, now, now. So if we want to make it real, real simple, we can say this chapters one, two, and three is this is what God did for you. And chapters three begins. This is what you need to do for, for him, right? And so this is what we practice because of what God has done. How many of y'all are saved? Raise your hand. You ain't ashamed of saved, born again, child of God. All right. All right. Now, there's a lot of stuff's happened to you. He, he's, he's redeemed you. He's regenerated you. Listen, he's forgiven you. He has made a brand new you. Right? So we got so much to be thankful for and we got so much to be grateful for. And now because of that, every Christian, every Christian should have a desire to do something for him. 
And so that is what Paul is dealing with here. That's where we're getting in verse number one and we're going to start through it. Now, now he says this, I therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Now the word beseech means it's the, it's the Greek word axios, which it means uh, to beg, to implore. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm telling you. When, when we're looking at this chapter, if you read it and read it and read it and read it, you'll find out he's, he's really uh, doing what we've been having to do on Sunday mornings and just get real with people. And, 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 and he's, he, I can see him as a, as a, a spiritual father uh, begging his spiritual children, hey, you need to act right. You need to, uh, I had a, a buddy of mine that I used to work for in South Carolina. Uh, he, he, every time I'd leave, say bye or whatever, every time we'd depart, he said, now you need to act like somebody. You need to act like somebody. And, and, and you know, this is what Paul is saying here. But, but it's more than a, a man on a platform giving a lecture. It is a spiritual father with his spiritual children, having a desire and begging them to be what God wants them to be. And I'm telling you, I, I, in the last few weeks, I've, you know, a parent sometimes has to, to do parent stuff, right? We have to do hard things. We have to make hard decisions and we have to, we have to, what's that phrase? Tough love. I guess it's, if you want to use that terminology, Paul has to, has to, uh, uh, use tough love, if you will, but it's not coming from animosity. It's coming from affection and he loves them. And that's why when I, I, I know I'm kind of spending too much time on this one word beseech, but I want you to see it that way. I want you to see his heart and what he's fixing to say. I want you to see his desire because here's what, here's what men of God know. Men of God knows the blessings of obedience, but unfortunately men of God know the devastation and the consequence of not doing what God says. Are y'all with me? And a lot of times as parents or grandparents, we, we see a direction our children are going or our grandchildren are going. And, and man, there is, a, there is an anxiety there. There is a worry there. There's a fear there. And you say what you say to them, not because you're angry, but because you love them. And you want what's best for them. And that's what Paul is doing here. And he says this, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, or excuse me, I'm, I'm about to quote Romans 12. I'm just saying, I'm Romans 12. Here we go. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, worthy, worthy means appropriate. Say that with me. Appropriate, appropriate. It means right. Walk appropriate of the vocation. You're calling. All right, where, how are we called? How are we called? Look what it says. Look what it says. Well, let me give you, let me, let me give you, let me give you your, your word. We, 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 the first word I have is request. We see his request. He is making a request to his, his spiritual children, if you will, or saints, the body of Christ. He's requesting holy actions. Write that word down. Holy actions. He says this, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now, how, what are we called to? What is he talking about? Romans 1, 7, Romans 1, 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be what? Uh-oh, that's about a quarter of y'all. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be? 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be. Now, is there any question what our calling is? We're called to be. The moment, the moment you get saved, God calls you to be saints. And he calls you saint. Not sinner, but saint. And we covered this several weeks ago. How many of y'all remember we covered this, Right. Now, we don't go around calling ourselves old sinners. We're saints. We're children of God. We've been, we've been redeemed and he has changed us. We're new creatures in Christ. And so we're called to be saints. And what he's saying is you need to act like that. 
That's what that word. And, and by the way, by the way, worthy, worthy is the, the, the picture that's given here in the word worthy is a balance. How many of y'all seen, ever seen one of them old time, old fashioned balances that where they, they would put, you know, this amount of weight and then they would put like gold or whatever they're balancing out for it to equal out. Is everybody understand what I'm saying? And so what he's saying, he's saying your behavior needs to balance out with your calling. In other words, your walk needs to match your talk. If you profess to be saved, if you profess to be a child of God, then your walk needs to be backing up, balancing out with your profession. He tells in, in, in chapters, and you really need to do this. I, I, there's no way I got time to go all through chapters one, two, two three uh, tonight. But I want you to go home and read chapters one, two, and three, and you'll see what you are. You'll see what you, you're a citizen. You're a child of God. You have an inheritance. You are an heir with Christ. All of these things in chapters one through three. And now he's saying, because of what you are, your behavior needs to balance to match up with who you are. Does that make sense? Amen. So every, what, what are we doing? What are we doing on Sunday mornings? We're preaching, be not conformed to this world. So what are we actually requesting? The same thing he's requesting. I'm wanting, I'm wanting as your spiritual father, I'm asking you that your actions, your behavior, your life balance up with your profession. Amen. So holy action. But then, then watch what he says. He's, he's requesting humble attitudes, humble attitudes. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You're called to be saints. Your behavior needs to equal out. It needs to balance out. It needs to match your profession with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. All right. Uh, now watch this. I gave you the definitions of the words here. Uh, let's go back to verse two with all in other words, your walk, your walk, your actions, your, your behavior, you, your attitude's going to, how many of y'all know sometimes your attitude affects your actions? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Now, if we're going to be what God expects us to be, and we're going to be what God wants us to be. It says we're going to have to have the attitude of what? Come on, everybody. Lowliness. lowliness. What's the definition of Lowliness. Humility. Then he says the next word, meekness, which means what? Gentleness. Then he says this, with long suffering. Now the easiest way to know what the word long suffering means, means to suffer long. Really. That's what, I mean, it is what it means. It means persistence, patience, patience. Now really, it means... In the, in the strictest form of the definition is to suffer long without reaction. In other words, without response, without response. All right. Then forbearing one another, forbearing one another. And it means simply say with me to put up with, to put up with, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the church. Now this can work in the home. Sometimes you're just going to have to put up with each other. But he is talking to church people. Now you know why God, and, and, and by the way, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he is saying, you know, we always brag about where two or three are gathered in my name. They're in the midst, I'll be. Yeah, but they're in the midst, Satan will be too. And sometimes... When you get multiple people together, there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. There's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be differences of ideas. There's going to be, uh, sometimes everybody in here ain't going to come in here with a good attitude. Sometimes people are going to have a bad day. 
Sometimes the things are going to go wrong that day and you're just going to be short with somebody. You're going to be walking by somebody in the foyer and they're not even going to say hey to you or, or they're going to sit beside you and don't speak. Or they, you know, stuff. That's life, people. You need to quit being so super sensitive. Quit being so super sensitive and carrying your feelings on your shoulder. And you're just going to have to put up with some stuff. Just put up with it. That's what he's saying. Now, now, watch. Endeavoring. That's a good King James word, ain't it? Endeavoring. We don't use that word a lot, but it means to make an. You know what he's saying here? I love this. He's saying that long, being long suffering and, and being meek and, and gentle and, 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 and suffering long and, and putting up with people, uh, you're going to have to make an effort. In other words, it's not going to come natural. You're going to have to work at it. Hello, y'all with me? Y'all don't like this, do you? We're only on verse two. Now watch, watch. We're going to have to suffer long and we're going to have to be patient with people and we're going to have to put up with some people and, uh, and, 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 and endeavoring. We're going to have to work at it and make an effort. Watch this. To keep the, uh-oh. See, y'all done got some mad. Y'all done quit reading altogether. <laughs> Verse three, endeavoring to keep the, of the, the spirit in the bond of what? Peace. Peace. What does that mean? In the church house, I don't care how loving the people are there, sooner or later, there's going to be times you're going to have to make an effort to have unity. Right? And so as a, I mean, any parent in here, any parent in here, if you have multiple children, if you have multiple children, if you have multiple girls, especially. (laughs) You really love when there's peace in the home. I remember days. I remember days that my alarm clock was hearing my girls arguing about who's wearing whose clothes in the morning before they go to school. Every morning. And I would get up and King James them, I beseech you therefore. Y'all with me? Can you see, can you see the family, fatherly, spiritual child dynamic here? Church, we're not just an organization. We're a family. And we have to make an effort to get along. Now, this sounds like a sermon somebody preach after there's a big fight in the church. There ain't no fight in the church. This is preventive medicine. Amen? Just, just understand we're going to have to work at it. He requests holy actions and be what? Humble attitudes. Now he gives a reason. So we see the reasoning. Verses four. He said, you need to have unity because there is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What do we see here? What do we see here? First, we see the unity of the believer. Write that down. He says, you need to work at getting along because you are one. You are one. There's so many ones here. You are one. There's one faith. We have one family. We have one father. We have one function. We have one future. Are y'all with me? We're one. And and one of the prayers that Jesus prayed right before he went back to heaven is that we would be one and unified like God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit is one and unified. And so he is saying, listen, I I don't, I don't know. I don't know why you think it's okay not to get along or be this. You going to be in the same place in the end. 
I mean, there's no, and by the way, by the way, we, we just preached at the unity conference and man, it's been a great three nights. It's been incredible what God's doing down there at West Point. And you know, we need to understand there ain't a Methodist section and a Baptist section of heaven, y'all. There ain't but one faith. There ain't but one faith. There ain't but one father. Y'all with me? And so he is explaining and he's helping them understand the unity of the believer. But then watch what he says. But, but that means, that means there's a, there's a contrast here. First he says, listen, you're together. You're in the same family. All right. There's so much there that we are unified by and we have the common ground with, but verse number, verse number, uh, seven. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, that is the diversity of the believer. Write that down. The diversity of the believer. We have unity in that we have the same father. We have the same faith. We have the same spirit, right? The same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. Say amen. And we should have the same desires. We should have the same, you know, as far as goals and, and, and trying to get the gospel. That's our function, right? And, and so with that being said, he is saying now, but I want you to understand. I want you to understand that God is not a God of y'all. He's a God of you. Even though you are one together, you have gifts individually. There is diversity among you. There is diversity among you. Now watch, here's, here's a good way to illustrate this. Because and you say, well, what's this got to do with us getting along? Well, you got to understand this. You are one. But there's a bunch of different people in here with different diverse uh, giftings that God specifically gave to you. And you are needed by the one. Now watch, I'm unified. I'm one body, right? There's no part of my body can be over there while I'm over here. Right? I'm unified, but I've got fingers. I've got ears. I've got a nose. I've got a mouth. I've got toes. I've got knees. I've got different parts. They are diverse. They are different, but they are desperately Needed. Are y'all with me? My eyes can't look at my finger and say, I don't need you. Or vice versa. And you know what I've learned about my body? There ain't nobody loves me like me. And everything about me will defend me and support me. And come to my defense. Are you with me? And what he is saying here, what he is saying here says, church, you got to understand. Listen, you are one. You are the same family. You have been called together. We have unity. But you've got different gifts that the other person needs. God gave them to you for a purpose. God gave them to use for the benefit of the body and the glorifying of Christ. Does that make sense? Now watch. Now let, let me show you something. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start making more sense. Just keep, just keep listening. <clears throat> we see the diversity of the believer. God has given us all gifts. Jesus specifically gave us these gifts. It says in verse number, uh, uh, verse seven, but unto every one of us, that's an individual, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, now he's fixing to tell you how you got it. Okay. Now he's fixing to tell you how you got that gift. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, write down in your note somewhere. Uh, write down in your notes somewhere, Psalm 68, Psalm 68, because this is what Paul is quoting. And this is the picture. Okay. This is the picture. And you got to look at me because this is not in your notes. 
The picture that he is describing here, the picture that he is describing here is of a king coming back from conquest. All right. This king has, has conquered the enemy and he has not only gotten uh, enemy prisoners, but he has rescued prisoners that were previously captive. In other words, he has captured those that were captured. Does that make sense? He has rescued them. And what they would do, listen, the king would bring the spoils of war and he would come and it's like a victory parade. He would come through Jerusalem, come through Jerusalem. And then listen, it's put showcase and show all the spoils or watch this gifts. All the gifts that he has captured, all he is showing the rescued soldiers that used to be captive. Now, and then he goes to describe the ascension of Christ. Now he, now he goes, he says, listen, Christ has already ascended up there, but you need to understand he first descended. He came down to us. He came down to us. Not only did he come down to us, but the Bible says he went into the lower parts of the earth. That means he went to hell. And when he went to hell, according to Peter, he proclaimed victory to the demonic host there in hell. And what is he, what is he doing? He's the king. And he takes all of those that were previously held in paradise. Those that had previously been captive by death. Now he's taking them back to heaven. And when he got to heaven, what did he do? On the day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit who gave you those gifts. And you have the gift you have because he came down, died on the cross, rose the third day, went back up, sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit sprinkled all of you with your specific gift. That's what he said. And you got one and you need to use it. You don't need to, you don't need to hoard it. You don't need to waste it. And by the way, not only that, you don't need to use it for the devil. I can't tell you how many people who were gifted and, 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 and listen, started their life in a choir in a church somewhere. And now they're singing in honky tonks. They will give an account for that. We better be good stewards of what God's blessed us with. Listen, we see the unity of the believer, the diversity of the believer. Then we see responsibilities. Now, now keep in mind, he's addressing the church. All right. Life after salvation. We have come. What happened on the day of Pentecost? As soon as he preached, they, there was thousands that got saved. The Lord added them to the church. And what did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostle doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. They came together. And he says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. And here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Now, first he talks about the diversity of gifts among each individual Christian. Now he's describing certain men who God has gifted to lead the church here in verse number 11. And he gave some, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, in, in point number three, in responsibilities, we see there are gifted leaders. Write that down. There are gifted leaders. Now, in the strictest, now, let, let me say this. Let me say this. You'll see a lot of, you'll see a lot of gift tests, you know, uh, gift surveys, gift tests. Of, okay, what, what's my gift? What's my spiritual gift? You know, and they'll talk about the five-fold giftings. Apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. All right, that's a very, very weak explanation of the spiritual gifts. Now, these are literally talking about specific men that God gave the New Testament church. All right. Now, apostles and prophets. Everybody listen. Everybody listen because you need to get this so you don't get 
turned around by charismatic groups. Apostles and prophets in the day we're living in, they no longer exist. The apostles and prophets laid, according to scripture, laid the foundation of the church. They found that they were the foundation. All right. Then the pastors, evangelists and teachers build on that foundation. So today we have gifted men that are evangelists. We have gifted men that are pastor teachers. Now the, the, the man of God in the church, he's got to be all three. Because the Bible says to the bishop, he says, you got to be apt to teach and do the work of an evangelist. Are y'all with me? So here's what, here's what he has to do. He's got to preach and he's got to be able to teach and he's got to do the work of an evangelist. Now, an evangelist is one that is gifted in proclaiming the gospel, bringing people to Christ. A pastor is one who shepherds and, and oversees and guides. Watch this now. And corrects. What did he tell Timothy? Paul told Timothy, who was a pastor, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Are y'all with me? Amen. Uh, so we have gifted leaders, gifted leaders. Now, now those leaders are here to be a blessing to you. Now watch, I know it. I know this is going to sound self-serving, but I'm a gift to you. Your te- knock it off. Your teachers that have taught you Sunday school throughout the centuries, throughout the time, uh, even now, they're gifts that God gave to help make things easier to understand, make things easier to know. And so just keep in mind, keep in mind when the pastor has to get real specific and reprove and rebuke, that's a gift to you. Church, say amen. Now watch what he's doing. Watch what he's doing. We have gifted leaders here, right? Every church, it's it's a New Testament church. It's a God honoring church has gifted leaders. But then if there are gifted leaders, there will be growing laborers, growing laborers. Watch what he says. Who are, what are, what are the, what are the responsibilities of these guys? What are the responsibilities of, of the, uh, uh, the evangelist pastor teacher? What are they supposed to do? It says in the next verse for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now the word perfecting, The word perfecting means maturing, developing, equipping. In other words, the pastor teacher is his responsibility to help you find your gift, help you develop your gift and find a place for you to use your gift. Does that make sense? Now, now this is going to help y'all because some of y'all, Miss Barry has tried to recruit y'all to use your gift and you just... Uh huh. That's her job. She's a, she she's got the gift of an evangelist to recruit and to help you find your place. But it doesn't do the pastor teacher evangelist any good if the person's not willing to grow. You can lead a horse to water. Amen. So here, watch this, watch this. So you've got the, the equipping or the maturing, the developing, then you have the work of the ministry. Then you have the edifying of the body of Christ. All right. All right. Mr. Sullivan, come up here a minute. Uh, Willie, come up here a minute real quick, quick, quicker than that right here. I think you, well, come back up here. I don't think they can see you up there. There we go. All right. All right. So now, now Willie, you come on up here. You come on up here. Let's say this is the gifted leader. Use your imagination. <laughs> All right. All right. He equips the member. He equips, watch this. He equips the gifted saint who God has put under his responsibility. 
Now, as he is equipping, maturing, teaching, guiding, developing the maturing, laboring, growing saint, then the saint does the work of the ministry. He performs his gift in the area that God calls him in that particular body of Christ. And when that happens, the Bible says the body is edified. The word edified means built up. You know what that means? It means I got a job to do and and if I do my job and you do your job, guess what's going to happen? If a body's not being edified, somebody ain't doing their job. And, and all across America, it's on both sides, pulpit and pew. But I'm going to tell you this. If a gifted leader is in there developing and maturing, and by the way, he can't make you. He can't make you. All right. But if he's doing his job, he's doing his job. The body of Christ is edified. It's built up. Does that make sense? So what Paul is saying here in the church, in the church, this is life after salvation. This is life in the church. This is what's supposed to be going on in the church. We're not here just so you can worship, get your worship on. I heard that phrase. What a lousy phrase that is. And that, 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 that makes it, that, that sounds like it's all about you. Well, I tell you what, I didn't like them worship songs. Well, we wasn't singing to you. Worship is about him. And this place is not here for entertainment. We're not here for the purpose of making you feel better because the world's just making you feel bad. We're here to develop you. We're here to mature you and to equip you because you got a job to do. Walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called. Church, say amen. amen. Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now watch. Let's hurry. Let's hurry. We'll hurry. So what happens? What happens when gifted leaders are operating and teaching and, and developing and doing their thing? And, and you have willing students who are growing. Watch what happens. Here's, what, here's, where, here's where we grow. Here's where we grow. Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, in other words, there's an outcome that we're looking for. Till we all come in the unity of the... Now what's going to happen? What's going to happen when gifted leaders are doing their job is that we're going to come in the unity of the faith. Now how does that happen? Is because we start learning what our faith is. We start learning what our faith is. You ever heard a person say, I'm a person of faith, right? We've, we've heard, we've heard crooked politicians say that. I mean, crooked, 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 sure enough, crooked, reprobate mind, crooked. And when it comes time election, they want, I'm a man of faith. And all I want to ask is what is your faith in? There's no such thing as faith in faith. Your faith is only good as the object of your faith. But as a, as a church, when you come together and we're teaching the Bible and we're learning the Bible, the more the Bible you teach and the more the Bible that you learn, you know, and you learn more about him and you gain more knowledge of him. And the more you know about him, the more you come together in unity because you know the same thing and you believe the same thing. And there's something about that. Your belief, you not only start believing the same thing, your belief gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So, so you start, you start being unified in the faith. Now watch this. Watch this. Look what it says. <clears throat> Unto, or excuse me, and of the what? Knowledge. Knowledge of the son of God. Unto a perfect man. Now keep in mind, keep in mind the word perfect there doesn't mean without flaw. Okay, that's that word mature again, complete, like a finished product. Does that make sense? You're mature. So we are, we are, we are growing 
We are growing in maturity unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of watch this that we be that we henceforth be no more children. Now, what's the opposite of being a child or mature? Y'all see that? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes people come in here and they think that the topic or the subject we're speaking on is none of my business. Well, if you're in the church and you're a child of God, it's my business. It is my business to mature you. And, and you say, well, what, what's the outcome? Mature into what? Him. That's it. It is my job. It is my job to pray for, to teach, to lead, to be the example, to do everything I can to get you as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as I can till he comes. And that's why you come to church. You don't come to church. This is not a psychological session. This, this is not a psychiatrist's desk or couch you're sitting on so I can make you feel better or, or, or comfort you and all that. I'm here to develop you into Christ-likeness. That's what it's for. And some, sometimes those chapters that we study, they're tough. I, I, y'all, think, y'all think it's hard to hear? You should see the faces I have to look at and deliver it. It, well, I ain't going to do that. Oh, I got a good illustration I can say right there. <laughs> oh, I want to bad. No, I am scared. No, no, no. You know, my buddy, my buddy said he had to go to a doctor appointment that he wasn't real excited about. And he was saying that to another doctor. And when he told the doctor what the appointment was, the doctor told him, he said, son, he said, he ain't real thrilled about it either. So you read between the lines. Now, when it comes to hard sermons or hard messages in here, convicting stuff, nobody hates doing it more than the preacher that has to deliver it. But sometimes you have to do things this tough. For the purpose of becoming more Christ-like. Amen? Now watch. So when, when, the, when the, the gifted leaders are teaching, reaching, preaching, developing, we're going to grow in maturity. Say that with me. We're going to grow in maturity. Watch what this maturity does for us. Well, one, we're going to be more like Christ. But watch. It says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's something about a child. A child will believe whatever you tell them. Even if it's wrong. Because they're innocent. They don't, they don't know any better. They just trust you. And then when they come home or they go to somebody else that they trust. And, they, and that person says, no, 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 no. That's not right. This is what's right. Well, well then that's what they do. And, and, and then they're confused and then they go over here and then somebody else tells them something. And then they I'm telling you, I, I see this over and over and over again on social media where baby Christians or immature Christians, or maybe not even Christians at all, are going back and forth and so confused by everything. How many of y'all know that you can go on the Internet and you can find anybody to back up anything you say if you look hard enough? Period. Now, what happens when we start teaching the Bible and growing in maturity and developing it, when you go out and you hear a false teacher, when you hear something that is a lie that's taught, you're not tossed to and fro anymore. You're stable. You're strong. And you'll know, no, nah, that's a lie. 
And I know that's a lie because God said over here in chapter four and verse number 12. Amen. And so that's why we're doing this. That's why you come to grow and to learn so you can be stable. You can be mature. Maturity produces stability. It says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Listen, if we can't do that, we don't need to be doing it at all. May grow up into. In other words, you ever, you, you know, you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, fireman, astronaut, policeman. I've never heard preacher. But they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, when you ask a child of God that, every, every single child of God should say, Jesus. That's what that means. I want the end result of my process of maturity to be Christ. I want people to see Christ in me. I want to make decisions that Christ would make. I want to live a life that Christ would live. I want to, I want to say words that edify and reflect on Christ. You see, that's our goal. That's why we're doing this. All right. Now, watch this. Not only that, we see we develop and grow in maturity. In verse number 16, we grow in ability. We grow in ability. Look what it says. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint, what? Supply. Supply. Now, compacted basically means impact. You begin to make an impact in your life. As you grow and you mature as a Christian and you start learning and you start growing and you start developing and you start being equipped by your pastor and your leaders of the church. Listen, you begin to grow in your ability to glorify God, your ability to serve God, your ability to fulfill Feel the function and the gift that you have, the ability to edify the church more and more and more. And you should be desiring that. You should be seeking after that. You should be working towards that. I want to have more ability to serve God next year than I did this year. Are y'all with me? Now, so... If we're doing what God says, we're going to grow. Number one, help me, help me real quick. We only got 12 minutes. We're going to grow in maturity. Then we're going to grow in, and then we're going to grow in what? Watch what it says. The same verse, verse 16 says this together by every joint. And when it says joint there, the joint is a part of the body. That means every person in here. That represents every individual. In other words, we're all stuck together, working together, doing our thing. And we become very productive. According, according, in other words, when everybody's supplying, you see that? Which every joint supplieth, when everybody is supplying their gift, operating in their gift that God has given them, that they've been equipped with and helped and developed and strengthened and gotten better at, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every part. Every part. How many? How many people in here need to be doing something? Okay. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You say, why should I do something? Well, because you love Christ and you love me. You know why you should serve in this church? Because you love the ones you're serving. Right? That's why we do it. That's our motivation. Man, I need to get better at it. I want to I serve them good. I want to be effective in my service. Because I love them. Amen? Now, watch this. Now we have a reminder. 
This I say, therefore. Therefore. There's that word again. In other words, because of what we've done read from verses 1 to verses 16. Now let's review what we read. He says, act like somebody. Work at being at peace. Work at unity. All right, understand you have a gift. Understand that, that God has given you gifted leaders to help you develop that gift. God wants you to mature and to develop. God wants you to grow in maturity, grow in ability, grow in productivity. God wants you to mature in Christ likeness. He wants you to grow up into him, into him, right? And because of that, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to remind you. That's what he's doing. He's reminding him. Watch this. Now you're going to, now you're going to see what Sunday mornings have been about. This I say, therefore, let me remind you. That's what that means. And testify in the Lord that you hence walk, or excuse me, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. What is he saying? Here's a reminder. Your past life is rejected. He says, you are not what you used to be. If you're going to, now let's put it together. Let's put verse one together. And is that 17? Verse 17? Okay, let's put verse one and 17 together. Watch this. In verse one, he says, walk what? Worthy of the vocation where were you called? What are you called? We're called to be saints. Okay, some of y'all done forgot. Let's go, let's go over it. Let's see, that's why we have to do this again. We, that's, repetition makes for good memory. Okay, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are. And what are we called to? Saints. So you're supposed to walk like a saint. Walk means behavior. It means your course of life, how you conduct yourself. Does that make sense? Okay, your walk should reflect your calling and your calling is you're a saint, right? And then he goes to explaining all that you should be doing and, and, and part of and, being, and put yourself under teaching and developing and maturing and equipping. And then he comes back and reminds you, don't act like you used to act. Don't live like you used to live. You can't walk like, watch this now. Everybody look at me, everybody look at me, everybody look at me. You can't walk like all those around you. You can't walk like they do. That's your old life. If you go back to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and in sins. He said, you used to be that. You used to have that behavior. But that's not you anymore. Now watch what he says. Watch what he says. Your past life is rejected. Can't act like them. You see, they don't have the ability to think. It says, henceforth, walk not as other Gentiles. Watch, watch the different terms that have to do with the mind. The vanity of the mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the, watch this, the ignorance that is in them because of, the, of their heart. Now watch this, watch this. He even goes to say, who being past feeling. In other words, they're callous. They don't have the ability to be convicted of their, have you ever wondered how people could do what they do without any sense of conscience at all? God calls it a seared conscience. An inability to feel guilt or remorse or shame for Sinful behavior. Watch. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That's just wickedness, immorality. To work all uncleanliness with greediness. And by the way, the root, the root of immorality is selfishness. Yeah. 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 Think about 
I want what I want. Most any sin that you can even come up with, it stems back to selfishness. All right. But ye have not so what? That's not what your gifted teacher taught you. Your gifted teacher taught you better than that. You see what he's doing? It's basically like as a parent, you tell your child, you know better. Right? So you didn't learn that. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true what? Let me tell you something. If you've been quickened, the word quickened means made alive. Then you need to take off the grave clothes. Because you ain't what you used to be. If any man be in Christ, he's a. What does that mean? You can't go places you used to go. You can't do things you used to do. You can't wear things you used to wear. You can't say things you used to say. You can't watch things you used to watch. You're a new man. You're a new man. Now let's finish this up. We've got three minutes. We can do it. What kind of renewing is going to go on when you're being developed, matured, equipped? You put yourself under godly Bible teaching. What's what's going to start happening? What's going to start happening? The Bible says in verse 23. Now we, we, you know, we've been quoting that verse. I've had it in my brain so much. I've almost quoted it tonight. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye. How are you transformed? By the. Now, I'm not going to re-preach what I preach Sunday, but if you wasn't here Sunday, you need to go get it. But we renew our mind with the knowledge of his word. Our mind starts changing. Our mind starts changing. We stop thinking like the world, the vanity. Remember, they're vain in their mind. It means empty, worthless. We stop thinking like they do. We, we, we stop operating like they do. We, we, our, our mind completely changes. So the first thing we see that's renewed is our mind. Verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your And by the way, if your mind is not renewed, nothing else is going to be renewed. What, what did, what did my, my, my philo- philosophical brother, we used to argue, Lord Jesus, we argued. We was good at it. We liked it, enjoyed it too. And, and one day I was down there and, and, uh, I don't remember what it was. We talked about a subject and I said, nah, uh, and I told him my side of it. And he said, okay. I was shocked, man. I said, what, what, what who, who is this alien with me? What'd you do with my brother? I said, that's all you got to say. He said, Malcolm, a mind changed against his wills of the same opinion still. I said, shut up and drive. How true is that? A mind changed against his will is of the same opinion still. Your mind, your mind is, is the reins of the horse. Your mind is going to take you wherever and whichever. So if you don't renew your mind, you're going to keep acting like them Gentiles. Your old man. Y'all with me? Now watch. Watch what happens when we renew our mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here's what's going to happen. First, your mind's renewed. Then your manner. Or you can put manners. How you behave. 
that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You're going to start, you're going to start acting righteous and holy. Watch what happens. Verse 25, wherefore put away lying. I mean, he gets specific, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that need it. Preacher, what are you saying? When your mind changes, your manners change. Your behavior changes. But then watch this. Verse 29. Some of y'all perk up right here and pay attention. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What else is going to be renewed? Your mouth. When your mind is renewed, then your manners become renewed, but also your, your mouth becomes renewed. You don't talk like you used to talk. And by the way, if you're not convicted about what comes out your mouth, you need to figure out what's in your heart. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart. The abundance. It's kind of like this. When you're pouring coffee in that cup, when you are pouring it abundantly, what happens? It runs out. And what he's saying here is whatever's in your heart is going to run out of your mouth. So if everything in your heart's nasty, Everything in your mouth coming out is going to be nasty. Hello. But when you start renewing that mind, you start, it changes your, your words. You, you don't, you don't speak to break down people. You don't speak to cut people anymore. What do you do? You start speaking to edify for people's good. You don't speak to hurt people anymore. Your mouth is renewed. But then there's a renewed motivation. This is good. Verse 30. Read it with me. And. Can we put it up here? Can we, is that possible? Let's read. Here we go. And. You know what? When you renew your mind, when you renew your mind, your motivation's renewed. You know why I want to act right? Because I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. You know what? We go through stages in life. I mean, if you grew up like me and you was in the whooping era, as a child, you acted right. You acted right because you feared that belt. That was your motivation. Right? Let's be serious a minute. Right? That was your motivation. That's an immature level. The only thing that motivates you is that belt. Then as you grow, as you grow, your motivation changes. As you develop and you mature, you go from your fear is your motivation to love is your motivation. That you want to do right because you want to please. Y'all with me? And see, as a baby Christian and even non-Christians, they kind of do right because they're afraid God's going to punish them. But as you grow and you develop and you're renewed in your mind, everything changes then. I, I, I don't want to grieve him. I'm going to watch my mouth because I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. I, I'm going to watch what I wear, not because of, of, of anything, but I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. Your motivation changes. Then lastly, lastly, 
A, say it with me real quick. We're over time. Renewed, A, renewed mind will become a renewed, then a renewed, then a renewed. Now write this, a renewed mentality. Watch this. Your mentality. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Read it with me since, since we're done. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath Now, 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 I know you want to fold stuff up, but I, I want you to hear me. Stand your feet, stand your feet so them workers know we're stopping. A mature Christian with a renewed mind cannot hold on to a bitter heart. I know bitterness comes from pain and a wounding. But bitterness is a result of unforgiveness. He says, forgive one another. Be kind one to another. The more mature we get, the more we become like Christ. One of the greatest characteristics of Christ was his ability to forgive. Just soak on that a little bit. Church, say amen. Amen. Be not like the other Gentiles. Don't act like the people around you. Be not conformed to this, but be ye transformed. transformed. By the what? And when your mind's renewed, your manners will be renewed. Your uh, uh, mouth will be renewed. Your, uh, what we say? Motivation will be renewed. Your mentality will be renewed. 